Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Dan Snow's History. This is a very exciting podcast because I went out into the real world. I had a hashtag IRL experience in real life. Me and Hannah and Yana my intrepid podcasting team, we went down to the south coast of England, a place between the low-lying heathland of the New Forest and the glistening sea of the Channel, a place called Lymington. Daniel Defoe visited in the early 18th century, and he wrote about it, smuggling and roguing is the reigning commerce on this part of the English coast. Roguing, what a great verb. Love that. And perhaps roguing had something to do with the topic of today's podcast. Because we dashed down to the coast, Team History Hit did, to respond to an emergency, a heritage emergency. A fantastic coin hoard has recently been found very near Lymington. It belongs to, quote, Indiana Jones in a museum. It belongs in the local museum, near to where it was found, near to where it was buried. But the museum needed to raise some money, so Team History Hit went down and kick-started those fundraising efforts. We spoke in this podcast, in the museum, St. Barb Museum in Lymington, we spoke to the three wonderful metal detectors who not only found the coins in a secret location in the New Forest, but behaved impeccably in accordance with the law and made sure that archaeologists were present for their excavation. We then talked to Professor Emeritus Tony King, who's a professor of Roman archaeology at Winchester University. You'll hear from him after the ad break. And I also talked to young kids from Priestland, the local secondary school, who are young curators at the museum. The coin hoard is particularly fascinating because it's a hoard of coins that were minted and probably buried before the Emperor Claudius sent his Roman invasion to occupy and colonise southern Britain. These coins are designed and created by our Celtic forebears. Now, I'm very stupid. This is not, as they say, my period. I didn't really know that Britain had a thriving coin-based economy before the Romans arrived. I was all a bit in that, uh, that embarrassingly traditional school of historiography that says that the Brits were all kind of hopeless until the Romans arrived and brought the great blessings of civilization to this island. But no, these coins are extraordinary. They contain images of nature, of the gods, of suns crossing the sky of people, migrants, crossing the channel in small boats. It really is surprisingly moving to see these coins, and it was a reminder that so much about our lives, the geography, our culture and politics, hasn't actually changed that much in 2,000 years. We're still working out ways to trade, to exchange, 
to cross this strip of water that separates us from the channel and possibly to stop other people crossing it. These are a superb collection of coins that give us an insight into the minds of our Celtic forebears, an opportunity to read beyond, to see beyond the hard punctuation mark of the Roman arrival. If you'd like to help keep these wonderful coins in the area in which they were found, in the area in which they were buried, then you can do so by going to the Big Give. It's a special campaign. It means that for the next five days, every pound that you donate will be doubled. So please, please, please head over to the Big Give and look for Celtic Countdown. Support the St. Barb Museum. We really appreciate that. You can check out pictures, look at videos of the coin hoard on my Twitter and Instagram, I'm the History Guy, or on the History Facebook page. Please go and check it out. In the meantime, though, thank you to the wonderful metal detectors. Thanks to the museum. Thanks to Professor Tony King for coming on the podcast. Enjoy. Can we introduce ourselves and our role here? So let's start with you. Well, I'm Kit Lehman, and I'm a detectorist, like these other two rogues. Perfect. <laughs> Gary Evely, one of the finders of the Nursling Horde. Alvin Robinson, also one of the finders and detectorists. Listen, first things first, congratulations. This is the most exciting thing. All those hours in the rain. I see you guys walking around. I'm in the pub. I'm driving past. I think, ha, they'll never find anything. But you've absolutely nailed it. It must be incredibly exciting. Yeah, it took about three billion hours, yeah, yeah. as you can imagine. So uh, quite a lot of wasted time. Well, it's not wasted, is it? Uh, no, no, it isn't. But, you know, many, many Just days, negative you, you wonder what on earth you're doing out there. It is immensely exciting. Of course, we didn't know when we uncovered it how exciting it was. We knew it was an Iron Age hoard, but some of those coins are actually unique, and many of them are of extreme rarity. So we were very lucky. So you thought it was Iron Age straight away. How do you know that? The first coins that came up were typical Duratrig status. We knew straight away it was Iron Age. We just didn't know how much was there. Obviously, we have to play by the rules and we can't touch it. So we didn't find out till the next day when the archaeologists came to dig it up. And even then, we didn't know what it looked like until they were clean. So it's been exciting for months seeing the process happen. Is this your first road? Have you made big breakthroughs before? Or was this kind of your first really big, exciting find? This is any detectorist's dream, once in a lifetime. Wow. You just want to throw your detector away now. <laughs> well, I hope you won't. <laughs> Yes. Well, as you say, it only comes up once in a lifetime, and it is very exciting. We have found single coins, many of them, but there's nothing like a hoard. That's what a detectorist dreams of. That's, yeah, it's what we dream of, and particularly a pre-Roman hoard. It's crazy. Were you looking, obviously, it's a secret location, guys, but were you looking in a particular place, like a sort of ancient crossroads or a... I don't know, some kind of particular route, or is this just you guys grid scrolling the country and just going through one place at a time? Funny story, really. Um, I waste many hours on Google Earth, and I was wasting many hours on Google Earth, and I sort of managed to find a 25-metre radius circle in this particular field. Just scrolling through Google Earth images, suddenly one of the years I thought, that's a definite ring. So I printed it off and made my proclamation the next day, this could be a Celtic dwelling. Lots of giggling and Mickey <laughs> taking by Alvin and Kit. Boots and laughter, I would say, <laughs> but uh, you were right, Gary, you yeah. were right. And they nicknamed it the Celtic Field and 
I think it was a th several weeks after that we discovered the big find. That's interesting. It suggests that we think maybe that someone associated with that house, the owner of that house, it was their valuables and they just squirreled it away. Well, nobody quite knows. Uh, a lot of doctorates and a lot of ink has been spilt over why they buried hordes. It may have been the Romans are coming over the hill, quick fellas into the ground, we'll come back after the battle. And of course, they didn't. Or it may have been some religious function, and we still don't know. But every little piece makes historians a bit more sure of what our ancestors were up to. What's it like that first moment when you're uncovering that hoard and you know that has not been disturbed for thousands of years? That's a direct link to, as you say, our ancestors. Unbelievable. You never expect it to happen. Me and Kit were together the first time it happened. And it was, I can only imagine, like winning the lottery. Not as in the fact we've won lots of money. It's just you, you never think you're going to see something like that. We find the odd Roman coin and ring pools and junk. But to find a mass of coins was just incredible. There's a great moment when you think, who was the last person to touch this coin? a few hundred years before Christ was walking on this earth. That is quite a moment. What's it all mean? I mean, you've got Google Earth there. The machinery is getting better and better. Are we going to find this kind of stuff regularly now? Are things changing rapidly? Without a doubt. The detecting machines are far superior than they were in the 70s. I mean, I started in the 70s and gave up. You must have been a child. Yeah, it was just, <laughs> it was just hard work. And the machines were pretty awful. And I only took it up again because a friend said, have you tried the new Deus? And I said, what on earth is that? He said, go and get one. It's amazing. It's just an amazing piece of kit. And he was bang on. We call ourselves the Deus Trio because we've all got a Deus machine and they are deadly. If there's a coin there, you'll find it. Deus Ex Machina. And so you've said you might as well hang up your Deus now, but I suspect you probably won't. You're going to keep going? I mean... Do you think there's more finds of this nature around that are there to be found? Without a doubt. Um, if you waste another couple of thousand hours, you may find something else. But, you know, obviously a hoard is great and a silver hoard is fantastic. But the greedy side of me wants a golden hoard. Oh, here he goes. Here he goes, lads. <laughs> Crikey. Nothing's good enough for this guy, eh? Yeah. That's it's... the ambition. That's, that's what will find us. The big yeah, ones, yeah. Eh? But it really is when you dig a Celtic coin and you put it in your hand and the thought, 2,070 years ago, somebody placed that coin in that hole. It's like, wow, mind-blowing. And lastly, I guess it's exciting that we're fundraising that it can be kept in the local area. That's very special. That is very special. And it's very nice that we've been able to do that. Of course, there is a system, the treasure system, and uh, we've stuck to the rules scrupulously. A number of detectorists don't, I believe, but we have, and the system has played fair with us, and we've managed to get it to come to the local museum, and that's wonderful. Yeah, I, and I feel weird congratulating someone for obeying the law, but thank you for all the rest of us out there, because I know it's easy not to, and we all appreciate that. Actually, there's thousands of detectorists that do, and there's hundreds of thousands of pieces in the British Museum going through the process now. So, and without those detectorists, yeah. we wouldn't be able to piece the history together. Absolutely. Well, people like you give the 
pastime a really good name. So thank you. For all our history fans out there, well, we're in our toasty homes. You guys are coming up with a good to tell us more about our past. So thank you and congratulations, guys. Come and join us one day. Well, I might do when the sun's out. Thank you. You listen to Dan Snow's History. We're going to be back in a moment. You're going to hear from Professor Tony King about what these incredible coins really mean and how important this find is. And if you want to check out the coins, please head to our History Hit Facebook page to watch the live stream that we recorded while we're in the museum. Ancient history fans, this is our moment. Subscribe to The Ancients now to get your weekly goodness of ancient history. We've got the big topics. So through this material, we're actually looking at this entangled sum of hundreds and thousands, in fact, of stories of life across ancient Eurasia. We've got the big names. The Romans, of course, become so powerful and the Romans conquer the whole of the Mediterranean world. And Hannibal was the one who challenged the Romans the most. We've got the big discoveries. And these are the only surviving boxing gloves from the Roman Empire. And we even have some groundbreaking new archaeological detective stories. Baths of Cleopatra. I had never come across any such thing before. Subscribe to The Ancients on History Hit wherever you get your podcasts. Join us this month on Gone Medieval from History Hit. I'm Matt Lewis. And I'm Eleanor Yanaga. This April, dive into our special mini-series. With the help of leading experts, we're tracing the foundations of England by exploring the country's most powerful Anglo-Saxon kingdoms. We'll be looking at Northumbria, Mercia and Wessex, as well as the rulers and their councils who helped shape a nation. Make sure to get every episode by listening and following Gone Medieval from History Hit, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful. Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. And also remember, when you use a messaging app, they shrink the photos. You cannot print those out. You cannot blow them up. This is high-quality imagery going to one of the most important people in your life. The Aura app is super easy to set up. It takes about two minutes, and you're going to love it. There's free unlimited storage. Add unlimited photos and videos and invite as many people as you want to a frame. Right now, Aura has got a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code DANSNOW at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply.
Okay, hello everybody. Welcome to this very special live stream from St. Barb Museum in Lymington, one of the great museums of Britain. I'm here with Professor Tony King. How are you, Tony? I'm uh, very well, thank you. Great. I'm excited well, with this hoard. Well, we're going to tell everyone about that. We are recording a live stream for you guys to learn more about this hoard. But we're also going to record a podcast. You're going to watch basically one of my podcasts being recorded live. We don't do this very often, so it's a bit of an exciting thing. But I want to do it tonight because we've got a special message, which is to keep this hoard here in Lymington where it was discovered, to show it off properly, to curate it and exhibit it properly, we do need to raise some money for this brilliant museum. Otherwise, the local people won't be able to enjoy this extraordinary local hoard. So please, please, please Google St. Barb Museum Hoard. Celtic Countdown from tomorrow, all of your donations will be doubled. Very, very exciting indeed. I'm going to put the link in the information below as well. So please head over and do that. In the meantime, let's get underway. Tony, thank you very much for coming on and talking me through this amazing hoard. What are we looking at here? Well, it's just a small selection from about 270 coins from a hoard that was found three years ago. And we actually think it's two hoards rather than one because there were two groups of coins found a few metres apart from each other and they're slightly different dates as well. So when do we think these were buried, around about? Around about uh, the end of the first century BC or the beginning of the first century AD. Okay. Yeah. But beginning of the first century BC makes them pre-Roman. Yes. Oh, absolutely. These are so-called Celtic coins or Iron Age coins. They're being made by people who were here before the Roman conquest. They're the local coins. Tony, I am going to really admit my stupidity here. I didn't know Brits were minting coins before the Romans arrived. Oh, yes, they were, and particularly in the South. And they were minting coins in order to perhaps pay their mercenary soldiers and things like that. These are quite valuable coins at the time. They tend to be of gold or silver, and so you couldn't just go out and buy a loaf of bread. They are too valuable, and there was no change. You couldn't get change either. So they're probably what we call bullion. In other words, that they were minted for their value in gold and silver. But they're incredibly intricate. This is something that I thought was beyond the technological capacity of Britons pre-Rome. I mean, for how many generations had the Brits been making coins of this sophistication? Well, from about 100 BC at least, and probably earlier. So they were made a bit earlier on the other side of the channel, and then the technology came across the channel and into southeast Britain in the late Iron Age. And they were very sophisticated metal workers. They knew exactly how to make really good quality things like swords and mirrors and uh, things like that, and also all of these coins. The first thing that strikes me looking at these coins, there are no emperors, kings, queens, gods on these coins, are there? There are gods on them. Oh, there are gods. Let's have a look at one. And this is perhaps one of the earliest ones in the hoard. And this has probably got the sun god on it. And on the other side, it's got solar symbolism. It's the journey of the sun through the sky during the day. And what they thought is it went back on a boat in the night to get to the dawn again in order to rise the next day. The boat is shown at the bottom of the coin. That's these wavy lines here. And of a horse is the thing that's dragging the sun chariot across the sky. So when we say we don't know anything about Celtic pre-Roman gods in Britain, the Druids, that's not true. These coins actually do give us an insight into they give their us, belief systems. Yes, an extraordinary insight as well. And we've got some which are gods and that sort of thing. And we've got others, which if we have a look at this one, 
which is a very tiny coin, it's actually got another boat on it. It's got a boat with some people on it. And these are probably the people who came across the channel during the first century BC to settle and sort of invade Britain at the same time. So this is a sort of political coin, not so much a religious coin. So they have messages, they have propaganda messages and, and everything. I don't want to get too overexcited, Tony, but images of actual human beings from before the Romans were in Britain, I didn't think we had those. I mean, those are, those are images of our Celtic ancestors. But admittedly, they look a bit like blobs, don't they, unfortunately? Well, but, you haven't but, seen my drawings. <laughs> yeah, no. yes. It's thought to represent people, yes, absolutely. And so you think that when Julius Caesar came across on his raids or invasions of 50-ish BC, hmm. the first time Roman armies come to these shores, they might have levied tribute or something. We might have had to start minting coins to send over to Roman authorities. Yes, the historical records tell us that Julius Caesar exacted tribute. In effect, he said, Britain has surrendered to Rome and we need some money from you. And this coin, the gold coin in particular, may have been minted around 54 BC or a little bit later in order to pay that tribute to the Romans. Eventually, they stopped paying it. It's one of the things that led to all the lead up to the invasion in 43 AD. Oh, I see. So the fact that the Brits stopped paying these coins to Rome is one of the reasons Claudius invaded. In a way, yes. It's a long story, it's though. A way, yeah, it's a I'm long and sure. complicated inevitably, story. Inevitably. <laughs> um, the intricacy on some of these ones is absolutely extraordinary. These are gold and silver? There's only one gold coin in the hoard, and that's this one, which is probably the earliest. And nearly all the rest are silver. And this one in particular, that's uh, what we call number 157, it's a new, unique coin. So there are some coins which have never been seen before in this hoard. Now, this hoard was found by amateur archaeologists, metal detectorists. Absolutely, yes. It's a secret location, obviously, but is there anything about where it was buried that gives us a sense of what perhaps it was doing there? Well, it was found in a place that might be on the boundary between two Iron Age tribes. Ah. And the one to the west of the Diratriges, are always difficult words to pronounce, and uh, they give their name to Dorset. Dorset is actually a direct descendant of that name, Dio Rodriguez. The people to the east are the people called the Atrobates, and they were incomers. There's another part of the tribe of the Atrobates on the other side of the channel, around the town of Amiens in northern France. And it looks as though people were coming in during the first century BC, and the boundary between the Dio Rodriguez and the Atrobates may have shifted west. And the new forest was originally in the territory of the Diratriges, in other words, in what is now Dorset, but it ended up being in what is now Hampshire. And that may have happened during the Roman period. So that's quite an interesting change in political affiliation, possible fighting. There may well have been fighting in this area in the late part of the first century BC. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Tony, but there's kind of two or three big reasons people bury coins. One is because the enemy at the gates, and you want to hide all your yep. stuff. yep. Another one, is it perhaps religious? Is it an offering? Is that something that you've come across? We think a lot of the Iron Age hordes are actually offerings. They're, they're votive deposits of one sort or another. And the fact that there are two hordes here and also a silver ingot, which was found in a slightly different location, but fairly close by, I think they're all religious deposits being put in this place because they wanted to placate the gods and make these offerings. 
you're obviously an academic, you know all about these coins and you're steeped in it. Is it really handy that people are now coming into you going, well, I'm a metal detectorist and I've just found this one. I mean, the hordes are coming in thick and fast at the moment. There's been a real revolution over the last 20 years and the Portable Antiquities Scheme, as run by the British Museum, has allowed us to see literally thousands of new coins from the Iron Age and, of course, the Roman period as well. And it's completely changed our ideas about what is going on, the sophistication of these people, the amount of trade and that sort of thing that was obviously going on. And these things were used for trade because they were valuable and they must have been used for trading for perhaps luxury goods like uh, wine and that sort of thing, which is coming in from the Roman Empire. You mustn't forget that after 54 BC, the boundary of the Roman Empire was the English Channel. And we here in Hampshire during the late Iron Age were outside it for about 100 years before Claudius invaded. And because we were on the edge of the Roman Empire, all these goods were coming up and being imported into Britain. And some of these coins were used for paying for them. Tony, we're talking about cross-channel trade. We're talking about people coming across in small boats, talking about being Mm. on the edge of Europe. It sounds like we're having a very contemporary conversation, yet this is going on 2,000 years ago. It's extraordinary. Yeah, some of them were refugees in boats, of course. Yeah, it seems to resonate with today. Yes. Was the silver and gold we're seeing used here, were they from the Isles, the British Isles, where we are now? That's a very interesting and quite difficult question to answer. Probably yes. The gold might well have been earlier items from, say, the Bronze Age, melted down and remade into coins. And that's easily the case. If you think about it, some of the gold objects that we've got today, you know, wedding rings and all the rest of it, unless it's newly mined gold, it could easily be something that's been recycled many hundreds of times and go right back to the Bronze Age or something like that. And that's a fascinating thought, something that you may have round your finger had been used once thousands of years ago. Could have sat alongside that coin there. Yeah. Given all these coin odds being found, do you, it's, do you think it's important that what we're doing here tonight, trying to keep them in the area and display them in the area, is well, it's really important? Otherwise, they would all go somewhere central, would they? Yes. Um, the main place in the country, of course, is the British Museum, and that has got quite a lot of these coin hoards and individual finds and all the rest of it. But very few of them are on display. And the policy of trying to get the coin hoards local to where they're found is, to my mind, a really good idea. And that's what we ought to be doing. And it means that people in this area can see and understand what was going on 2,000 years ago. I live in this area and I'm very excited. I thought, you know, the Romans brought coins and I'm feeling altogether more positive about my Celtic ancestors. Um, You said this coin is completely new. You've never seen it before. What does this hoard in general, what has it told you about Celtic Britain, about this part of the world. What can we learn from it? And one of the things about the New Forest is we tend to think of it as a rather blank area because there hasn't been much archaeology found here. And now we're finding more and more. We now know that there's a lot of activity in this part of southern Britain and uh, that Iron Age peoples were here. They were probably fighting against each other. They were probably establishing big marketplaces. They were establishing temples. And we get a sense of the sophistication of these people. And as you say, these are not for small purchase, but there's a coin-based economy going on, which implies, well, a sophistication there. Yeah, and in fact, okay, they're valuable coins, but there probably was a trade which used these coins. We know that at the time of Caesar and a little bit after, they were trading with the Roman Empire in slaves. Uh, one of these coins could probably purchase a slave. Really? Or a few of the coins would purchase a slave. 
And it has been suggested that fighting in Britain, which is just beyond the edge of a Roman Empire, they would take prisoners of war if they were fighting against each other. And those prisoners of war would then be traded into the Roman Empire as slaves. That's extraordinary thought. Now let's talk a little bit more about some of these individual coins. You cast your eye over these coins. Do you know what everything is? Or are there mysteries here that unravel? There are definite mysteries to unravel. The one I said that was uh, a new type, it's enlarged here. And this has got solar imagery on it as well. You can see the sun with the rays of the sun sticking out there. You can see those crescents, those are crescent moons. This thing, the line and two dots along the sides might be a rainbow. That's very cool. And when was this coin from? This is probably oh, about 20 to 10 BC, maybe 10 AD, that okay. sort of time. So again, before the Roman, the Claudian invasion. Oh, absolutely, so. yes. The other side of it's got a horse, and you can see the horse, you can see its ears, you can see its snout, and that's looking very clear on why, why do you think some cultures put important men on coins and uh, others put horses and nature motifs it's interesting. Perhaps they didn't want to depict their kings or their leaders. But later on, they do. Well, they mention their names. The later coins, which are after the date of these hordes, just before the Roman conquest, they get literate, as it were. They okay. And they put their names on. So you get V-E-R, which we know was Verica, who was the person who actually asked the Romans to invade in 43 AD. Yeah, well, well, okay, how'd that go? <laughs> yes. Okay, um, well, let's look at some other coins here. What about this one here? Well, this again has got a horse on it. I'm going to have to turn this one round and you can see the head, you can see the neck, that's the body, that's its two front legs. And we've got what looks like a spear. These may be wheels for a chariot and that okay. sort of thing. Amazing, isn't it? So you're able to recognise these? Well, I'm not a real Iron Age coin expert, and I defer to <laughs> other people for that, but I do recognise these. And I've been working at a, another temple site, which is on the, in the eastern Hampshire on Hailing Island, and that's got hundreds of coins, which are very similar to this as well. So, And technology means we're going to be finding more and more of these things. Yes. As I say, we're in a golden age of discovery. And the fact we've got the Portable Antiquities Scheme, which pays the face value of the coins. Well, not the face value, because well, we say, don't know what the face oh, value is. Oh, face value. <laughs> Let's say the, the modern a... value of the yeah. coins. And uh, that means that they're not sold into the antiquities trade and we never know where they came from and all the information's lost. Because yeah, so what's important for, for me as an archaeologist is to get the, the background information. In fact, they were all found together. They're a hoard. We know the fine spot, although we, we're not going to disclose it. It's not, it's a secret. <laughs> yes. As investigations ongoing. Yeah, exactly. And you don't see this coming to a stop anytime soon. There's still plenty out there. Well, I think it will eventually tail off. But I, I think at the moment, there are fines by the thousand every year. What a which, time to be alive. Isn't it cool? And there are also lots of excavations, of course, going on. It's a golden age for archaeology in general, actually, with... Um, Projects in advance of big projects like HS2 and all the rest of it have produced some fantastic finds. Were they made in a very similar way to the way they were made in Roman Britain? Did our Celtic ancestors have completely different ways of making coins or are they borrowing, importing European methods? Both. <laughs> That's the typical academic answer, isn't it, to say both. What they were doing is they were probably making blanks by casting them in little moulds. So they would make a blank, but then they would have a die which had the design on it and then they would strike it. And striking coins is what 
The Romans did, and the Greeks. That's how they did it. They didn't cast them, they struck them. They had a little thing called an anvil, which had one design on it. Then they had the other bit, and they put the blank in between, and they hit, okay. hit it with a hammer. And the but, other way is to pour liquid into a cast, isn't it? It is, okay. uh, and often Roman forgery coins are cast because ah. they encase these in clay, take a copy of, well, usually a Roman coin rather than one of these. Oh, I see. That's and, clever. Yeah. Some of these coins, I'm not sure if any of them out here, have been tested by being cut. They wanted to see whether they were solid all the way through. So people were interested in knowing were these true coins or were they forgeries? Oh, so they, sorry, they weren't cut in the British Museum last week. No, they, no, they no, were cut no, they were cut in, yeah. 2,000 years ago, they were yep. being cut yeah. in case it's a base metal with a... Yeah, and you do get base metal coins with just a skin of gold or silver around yeah. the outside of it. Cheeky. That's Even why, in the Iron Age. Is that why people do that strange thing at the Olympics? They'll have that picture taken. And yeah. Go, yeah, this is a genuine medal. Yes, yeah, exactly. it's not just made of chocolate. <laughs> Tony, that is incredibly exciting. We've got the young curators of Limington Town here. Anything you guys want to ask? What's your name? Amelia. Amelia, let's take it away. Go, what's your question? Okay. I was wondering, could any of the coins actually have been lost? Or what were they really found in? They were all found together, and the, the finders said that they were in a sort of stack together. So they were probably in a container of some sort. And that container was probably fabric or leather or something like that. And that, of course, has decayed, so it's, it's no longer there. Amelia, can you come to all my jobs? Because that's a question I should have asked straight at the beginning. So <laughs> thank you for reminding me of that. Yeah. Are you sure someone didn't drop them? I mean, honestly, <laughs> what, I'm an idiot. Thank you, Amelia, for sorting me out there. Any other young curator questions? What's your name? Tom. I was just going to ask, at school we were learning about Anglo-Saxon, like, mints and how, like, they caused taxation and stuff. Was taxation at the time these coins were used? The tribute to Caesar is taxation, mm. isn't it, in a way? But probably there were powerful tribes and less powerful tribes, and the less powerful tribes probably had to pay some sort of tax to the bigger ones. It happens. Yeah, it certainly happened on the other side of the channel in ancient Gaul, but... We don't know for sure whether it happened in Britain. My guess is it probably did. Lovely. Oh, yeah, here we go. Another one. What's your name? Um, Amber. Who would have owned these coins? Who would have dropped them or whatever? I, I think, Good question. I think ordinary people of the tribe or whatever they wanted to call themselves probably didn't own these coins. And we know from what Caesar says and various other ancient writers, that they had a sort of stratified society with a king, with warriors and priests and people like that at the top. And then a lot of people who were farmers and herdsmen and so on underneath. And then there were slaves as well. Definitely the Iron Age people owned their own slaves. And it's for people at the top who probably had possession of these coins and were making offerings of them as I say, I think it's a religious hoard. They were willing to give away all their wealth because it's quite a valuable hoard in the Iron Age. And they, they were saying the gods deserve these coins more than we do, which is quite interesting. Amazing, yeah. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast and talking to us all about it. It's a pleasure. You will have the history on our shoulders. All this tradition of ours, our school history, our songs, this part of the history of our country, all work on and finish. Thanks, folks. You've reached the end of another episode. Hope you're still awake. Appreciate your loyalty. Sticking through to the end.
If you fancied doing us a favour here at History Hit, I would be incredibly grateful if you would go and wherever you get these pods, give it a little rating, five stars or its equivalent. A review would be great. Please head over there and do that. It really does make a huge difference. It's one of the funny things the algorithm loves to take into account. So please head over there and do that. Really, really appreciate it. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dan Snow's History. Please follow this show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us and you'll be doing us a big favour. Don't forget you can also listen to all of these podcasts ad-free and watch hundreds of TV documentaries when you subscribe at historyhit.com slash subscribe. As a special gift, you can also get your first three months for just £1 a month when you use code DANSNOW at checkout.